tonight why you should be encouraged that the world is getting darker. Jesus told us to expect it. What happens when a lesbian couple accidentally gets the wrong gender at a test tube baby clinic, but a Supreme Court justice doesn't even know what a woman is anyway? The church should look up because its redemption draws nigh. What happens when the cultural movers and shakers of our world demand kindergartners or kindergarten teachers come out to your five-year-old while turning a blind eye to physical assault on live television? The church looks up because his redemption draws nigh. This is your favorite night of the week, The Deep End on Tim Hatch Live. All righty, everybody. Welcome into The Deep End. It is my favorite night of the week. I don't know. Maybe it's your favorite night of the week. Let me know in the comments where you're watching from. Let me know that you're here or to the side. I never know where the comments are. And also make sure that you're doing all those necessary things for our YouTube channel. Like, subscribe, and click that notification bell so that you get notified every time we go live on your smartphone device. This is episode 22 of season five, and I am... Your most excellent, humble host, Tim Hatch, here on Tim Hatch Live. What do we do on Tim Hatch Live? What do we do on the deep end? Well, we do this. We look at culture and we discern it. We discern it because Christians are more confused than ever before by what's happening in their culture. And you don't need to be. Jesus told us that this would take place. Everything that we're seeing is part and parcel with what Jesus said to expect. So with that in mind, let's get into the deep end commentary. When you don't know what to do. We, we have to understand something about the last days. <clears throat> First, we are in them. Um, we've been in them since Jesus' ascension and the Holy Spirit's descension on the day of Pentecost. We've been in the last days, technically speaking, since then. But there's, I think there's a difference between the last days or the end times and the end of days, which is where we are headed. The times of the Great Tribulation, the times of global confusion, the times of absolute corruption from the highest levels of government to the lowest levels of cultural influencers. That's where we are. And friends, it's supposed to happen. This deep end commentary is talking about back to the time of Jesus's coming. Mm -hmm. Jesus told us what to look for in culture, in the world, when he returns, when his return is at hand. We, we have, uh, to look out for a few things that he clearly enunciated in Matthew chapter 24 and Luke 17. We have to head back to tribalism as a world. Tribalism where people hate each other just for the color of their skin or their nationality or their ethnicity. Okay, We have to head back to barbarism where people are disrespecting life and killing one another and stealing and robbing and looting and nobody cares and police turn a blind eye. We have to head back to economic insecurity where we never know. Is the president or her, his policies going to absolutely upend our economic stability? We have to head back to vicious evil condoned by the highest levels of government. We have to head back to a total disregard for God and culture. And we have to head back to a false version of Christianity that perpetuates itself as the real deal. How do I know we have to go back to these times? Because Jesus told us that we actually have to go back as we get closer to the forward event of Jesus's return. Mm -hmm. The world was dark, confused, tribal, barbaric, insecure in the time of Jesus's first coming. And friends, listen to me very carefully. It's going to be that way in the time of his second coming. As it was in his first coming, so it will be in his second coming. And Jesus told us, actually, it might be even worse. 
He told us to look out for the cultural roadmap of his return. Let's take a look. Luke 17, 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage. Everybody was having a good time until the day when Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days, uh, in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot and went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Friends, Noah and Lot, <laughs> these are not good times. And these are the times that Jesus describes when Jesus is going to return, okay? This is what the Bible told us about. So all these Christians who think we can redeem the culture, we can redeem the world, we can, if we could just change culture, right? If we could just um, institute morality at the highest forms of government and the highest forms of civil order, then, then the church can actually get the job of the mission of Jesus done. No, Jesus told us to expect the times of Noah and the times of Lot. Let's take a look at the times of Noah, for instance. Here's what Noah's time was described as. Genesis chapter 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Look, you don't get much darker than that description of human evil. And the Lord regretted that he had made man. It grieved into his heart. And the Lord said, I'll blot man out whom I've created from the face of the earth. In other words, God says, it's so bad, I got to act. It's so bad, I got to actually come down and wipe out man. And there's only one man in his family that were saved by grace, not because they were good. And that is Noah and his family. And then a cultural roadmap for Jesus' return according to the days of Lot. Dark times as well. Genesis 18. Uh, when Lot and, um, I'm sorry, when Abraham and God are having an argument about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and, and Abraham whittles God down. He debates God down to, look, will you destroy the city for the sake of 10 righteous persons? And, and God says, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Which means that God could not find 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then remember that the angels come to Lot's door. When the angels come to Lot's door and stay there, the men of the city surround the, the door of, of Lot and in Genesis chapter 19, he said, they say, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we might know them. We want to rape these men. And then, of course, the angels blind the men and the rest is history. Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed and Lot is barely saved with his wife and daughters, right? His own son-in-laws don't even want to come. And as Jude describes, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So you have Jesus himself saying, you want to know what it's going to look like when I come back? Here's how. Look at the days of Noah and look at the days of Lot. Absolute global corruption from the highest levels of government to the lowest levels of human influencers and everybody confused and sexual morality rampant and no one is allowed to say it's wrong because if they do, they get canceled. Like, for instance, we have, like I um as I just said, at the highest levels of government, we have a future, you know, it's just a matter of time before she becomes a Supreme Court justice. Uh, Judge Katani Brown-Jackson, or Katanji Brown-Jackson, not sure how to pronounce it. I want to respect her and pronounce it correctly. But she was asked by Senator Marsha Blackburn, can you provide the definition of a woman? And the Supreme Court nominee said, no, I can't. Blackburn said, you can't. Jackson's response says, no, I'm not a biologist. This is a person <laughs> that is going to be judging cases of right and wrong, judging cases on Title IX in the Constitution of the United States regarding civil rights for women, right? This, this is the original curse, which is that men would dominate women, and we have been dealing with that for thousands of years, millennia of human history. 
And there's a little there's a little Title IX thing in the Constitution that talks about protecting the rights of women against those men who will dominate them. Okay, and the Supreme Court justice doesn't even know how to define a woman, which sets up nicely for more gender confusion coming at the highest levels of our federal government. Because in just a few more years, right, that female swimmer in the NCAA takes her case to the Supreme Court over fairness in women's sports, and she will be assured of a vote against her. Why? Because the new Supreme Court justice cannot stand for truth on this small stage of a nomination hearing. Forget the big stage when actual civil rights are at stake for women. Seriously, though, this is just our country following the trajectory that Jesus described when we get to the time of his return. This world that Jesus said would exist when he comes again is actually coming to pass. It's quite exciting. And, you know, it's our highest levels of governments, our lower levels of government, because here's another example from the great state of California, California, who loves putting people to death, except for the people who actually put people to death. So rapists and murderers, we don't want to put them to death, but little babies and unborn babies and old people who are sick, we want to gladly put those people to death. Euthanasia, abortion, good, capital punishment, bad. This from LifeSite news.com. You will not believe the heading of this article. Pro-abortion California bill could legalize infanticide for months after birth, attorney warns. And this was, you know, a big hubbubaloo by progressives in our country a few years ago when uh, Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia talked about the conversation that would take place between a woman and her doctor after she gave birth to a child who might not make it. So there's a conversation about whether they should just kill the baby and get it over with. Like this is, this is infanticide. And everybody said, oh, don't be ridiculous. That's not coming to America. Don't be ridiculous. That'll never happen. Oh, yes, it will. It will because we have to go back to the times of Jesus' first coming to anticipate his second coming. So let me read a portion of this, uh, of this article for you. It says, quote, a gruesome new pro-abortion bill passed in California could legalize infanticide for weeks, months, or even years after a child is born. An attorney with the Thomas More Society told LifeSite News. AB 2223 was introduced in February as a placeholder for future legislative language amid a raft of pro-abortion proposals advanced by lawmakers following radically pro-abortion Democrat Governor Gavin. Gavin Newsom's uh, promise to make California a sanctuary, <laughs> interesting word, for abortion, right to life league reported. Uh, so the article goes on, under the new language, a person shall not be subject, listen to this, shall not be subject to civil or criminal liability or penalty or otherwise deprived of their rights based on their actions or omissions with respect to their pregnancy or actual potential or alleged pregnancy outcome, including miscarriage, stillbirth, or abortion, or perinatal death. Now that perinatal word is key to the language of the law. Uh, as it says there, Thomas More Society Special Counsel Charles Lamandry said uh, that that uh, the altered language, that perinatal word there, that altered language could allow for the brutal murder of babies weeks, months, or even years after they are born. You say, that's crazy. No, no, this is America. We are civil. Okay, the word perinatal shows up in the National Library of Medicine. This is on pubmed.org. And here's from our own governmental website, 
the definition of perinatal. Natal, perinatal. Uh, the perinatal period, a window of opportunity for enhancing parent-infant communication. This is the article, but under the article, the definition flows like this. The perinatal period, broadly defined, encompasses the time frame from one year to 18 to 24 months after the birth of the child. This constitutes a window of opportunity. So they're, tech, they're talking about this, this period between when the child is um, before they are conceived and even up to two years after they're born. And that language of perinatal is going into the law AB 2223 in California. They're debating this law right now, which could make the way for parents to put to death unwanted children. Parents to just kill. Oh, you know, I wanted a boy, I got a girl. Well, good news, California, you got the right now to kill your child. And it's nothing new. It's nothing new. I can't imagine a world like that where we kill unwanted children. Well, why not? It's part of the human history. In the Roman world, in the first century, when Jesus showed up the first time, the Roman, the Roman father, the head of the household, had absolute right to put his child to death up until and even into later adulthood. And when a, when a baby was born in the ancient world, a father would inspect the child, lift it up, and if he didn't want it, he would put it down, and then they would take that baby and they'd throw it on an ash heap. They'd throw it in the, junk, in the junkyard, left to rot and die. That was the world that Jesus came to in the first place, my friends, is coming to the world again very subtly, very subtly. And I know, I know some of you are right now listening and you're saying, this won't happen in America. This won't happen because you know what? We don't do that. Well, no, we don't do that right now, right? Just like we didn't have gay marriage 20 years ago, just like we didn't have the right to kill your unborn child 50 years ago, uh, uh, endorsed by the Supreme Court, the highest government court in the land. But this is the this is the flow of evil. This is the flow of evil in a cultural in any culture in any society. First, we overlook evil. Then we permit evil. Then we legalize evil. Then we promote evil. Then we celebrate evil. Then we persecute those who still call it evil. This is the trajectory of a society that is deteriorating and leading us right to the end of days in the last days, a.k.a. Jesus's return. So you get a law on the books that says, you know what? You had the child you didn't expect. Good news. Abortion laws now permit you to kill the child in the state of California up to the 24th month. Now, again, this might happen, say, 20, 30 years in the future. Who knows? It's happening so fast. It could be five years in the future. But here's what's happening at the same time. Now, just to put this all together again, okay, from the Daily Wire, look at this headline. Again, the headlines today are so hilarious. Just like rape, quote, end quote, lesbian couple sues fertility clinic for alleged embryo mix-up. Say they wanted a girl, but got a boy. Now, this is the article headline, and here's what went down. A Buffalo-based lesbian couple is suing CNY Fertility Clinic in Latham, New York, for allegedly giving them the wrong embryo, New York Post reported. Heather Wilhelm uh, Rautenberg and Robin Robbie Rautenberg Wilhelm, <laughs> these last names of lesbian couples are kind of funny, explicitly requested that they have a baby daughter after undergoing fertility, after undergoing fertility treatments. However, the couple was devastated, devastated to find out that they were expecting a son. 
Now they are responding with legal action against the fertility clinic, claiming Heather became suicidal. There it is again. I'm going to kill myself after her son's birth and entered a dark depression upon finding out she was carrying a baby boy. The article goes on to state that one of the lesbian women had been sexually assaulted uh, by a man. And so for that reason alone, she did not want to raise a son because of all the quote unquote camouflage and guns. Her words literally from the article. And again, she becomes suicidal after her son's birth. So, you know, I must kill my unwanted son or I'm going to kill myself. I mean, you can see the trajectory of the laws taking place here. You can see that that's where we're going to get to because that's what they do. They always blame the people who don't want to allow them to do something for killing themselves. And I want to make a little bit of a note here. Uh, let me take it aside. Enough. Enough of the LGBT squad blaming Christians for wanting to kill themselves. Biblical Christians, that is. Enough. I am not taking it anymore. Biblical-minded Christians are the most castigated portion of the society in America. You literally have every powerful person in government on both the left and right celebrating you, endorsing you, rejoicing over you. You have Hollywood celebrating you, fighting your battles. You have the institutions of higher learning fighting your battles. You have the universities. You have the federal government. You will have the Supreme Court in just a matter of time. Everybody thinks you're awesome and you have two months to celebrate what you are and what you think you are. And this past week, we even had a pride week across the public school systems of America in March. So you get a week in March and two months out of the year to celebrate you. You have enough celebration. And if you think that we're going to convince the culture that because one little small subset uh, subgroup of the population, which everybody castigates and vilifies the biblical Christian subset, you're going to blame them for wanting to kill yourself because they don't accept you. You've got serious problems. Enough of blaming Christians for suicidal tendencies of the LGBT people. Enough. I mean, enough. You, you've got to man up or woman up or they up, whatever your gender is. And just, you know, accept the praise from 95% of the culture <laughs> and ignore the 5% who don't celebrate you. Anyway, back to the article on uh, these two lesbians who got the wrong gender, which kind of is ironic because... Well, who's to say what a boy is and who's to say what a girl is, for heaven's sakes? Just turn him into a girl. Problem solved. <laughs> well, the article goes on. After the baby was born, Heather claimed she was unable to bond with him. I started experiencing extreme anxiety. I would look at the baby and it would con uh, contort into the faces of all these grown men that I know. Seriously? <laughs> a baby does not have a grown man's face. This is a person who is detached from reality. I was, she, said, she said it was so creepy. Whenever that happened, I had to give the baby to Robbie. She continued, I literally thought I was going insane. There were several incidences of suicidal ideation, some of which very dangerous. I had a complex postpartum depression. Now the couple's son is one and a half. Heather admitted she, was, she has grown to appreciate the boy since he was born. He's a lovely kid, she said. He smiles just like Robbie. He has Robbie's dimples, and that makes it easier. He's been an easy baby. Well, good news, kid. Thank heaven you were an easy baby, or you might be dead at the behest of a lesbian mom. But just do the math with me, guys. It's not that hard. Two plus two equals four, okay? First two, make infanticide legal, killing babies up to 24 months after birth. Make that legal through some jar legalese jargon that people won't catch, except for LifeSite News and other pro-life organizations. That's the first two. The second two is get a fertility clinic mess up in California or Massachusetts, on top of which you have a Supreme Court justice who doesn't even want to define life because they don't even know what a woman is because they aren't a biologist. Add that all up and you get the result, a dead baby and happy lesbian parents.
This is where the world is headed to. This is where the world is going. And this is what Jesus said would happen. The point I'm trying to make, guys, is it's supposed to get worse, not better. It's supposed to get worse, not better. Luke 21, 28, though, what does Jesus say? When you see these things begin to take place. What things? The things at the end of the time, the things at the end of the world. Straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Christians do not, do not get overwhelmed by the increased wickedness, celebrated and endorsed wickedness of our culture. This is what Jesus told us to expect. And when we see it, we should actually be like, he's coming, he's coming. I mean, you resurrect my dead grandpa. He preached for 30 years, a pastor, a man of God. You resurrect him today, uh, some 21 years after his death. And he would literally be shocked that this is what happened in just two decades. But there's another sign. There's another sign that's supposed to get worse, not better. And this one hits a little bit closer to home, friends. And by friends, I mean Christian brothers and sisters. Another sign of, a, of, the, of the end times, another sign of Jesus' soon return is a sin-plagued church. Not a sin-plagued culture. Plagued culture. They're supposed to be sin-plagued but a sin-plagued, culturally-influenced church caught up more in this world and its forms than in the true and living faith. I bring you to the Bible cam for this reason. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, Paul says, the Spirit especially says that in the last time some will depart from the faith. Now notice this says that they would depart from the faith, which means that they were in the faith, which means that they believe, they, at least they nominally professed faith in Christ Jesus, but they will depart in the latter time. They will leave the faith. Uh, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of what? Demons. Demons will be teaching Christians, and they will be infecting Christians with seared consciences. They will uh, forbid marriage, require absence from foods, and all of these other things that Paul underlines for the last day's church. The last day's church is going to have Two kinds of Christians gathered in the same rooms across the world. Real Christians who are devout and following Jesus Christ and seeking to lay down their life and be transformed by the renewing of their minds and all that kind of stuff. And then false Christians, false Christians who will follow the course and trajectory of the world. My friends, both will be growing together until Jesus comes again. That is also in the Bible. But I have to take you to a documentary that was just released on Discovery Plus. It's a documentary about one of the biggest, if not the largest, evangelical churches in the world. The church's name is Hillsong. It's led by Brian Houston and Bobby Houston. It was founded, I think, in 1983. It's got locations all over the world. Uh, the church, church is rife with resignations, allegations, sexual abuse. Brian Houston, its leader and founder, just resigned two weeks ago amid more allegations of improper behavior. And today we're doing a new segment called Deep End Reviews. So the documentary is called Hillsong, a megachurch exposed, and you can check it out, and I did. It's three episodes long. I'd like to say f the following about this documentary, because as a pastor, I feel a need not just to speak to you here on Tim Hatch Live, but to speak to anyone who might be watching who is a non-Christian uh, on Tim Hatch Live. The documentary is dark. It is one-sided. It is highly dramatic, and all 10 or so of the people that they interview pretty much weird on their sleeve that they have a serious axe to grind 
with Hillsong Church, particularly with uh, Brian Houston. Uh, th- this woman, for instance, was one of the early members of Hillsong Church when it was Hills Christian Life Center back in the 1980s. Um, her name is Tanya Levin, and she does this in the beginning of the first episode, this really unfair comparison uh, of Brian Houston with televangelist preachers who bilk people off their money like Kenneth Copeland and even Robert Tilton up there on the upper right-hand side of the screen. There was even a complaint against Hillsong College for, quote, lack of empathy for uh, a student that lost their clothes uh, in their airline um, flight or whatever on, on the travels to the school. Uh, some other smaller complaints. Like they, they, they spent three episodes, three hour-long episodes trying to build up the case that Hillsong is basically the most corrupt organization on the face of the earth. And many of the complaints are small. There are two very large complaints. And we need to have some wisdom and discretion here. We also need to understand there is always an agenda with the God of this world and those who hate Christianity. I bring you to the official IMDB page of Hillsong a mega church exposed. Here's the listing of the official trailer. Look at those words. Quote, uh, features several ex-members of the church who share harrowing allegations of the trauma, abuse, homophobia, and financial and labor exploitation that created a culture of chaos at Hillsong. Two words here that poke, or three words that stick out to me. Homophobia, number one. Uh, every biblically based church, whether mega or mini in the world that believes the Bible is going to be labeled homophobic because it's not with the modern age of human sexuality. So we can kind of like ignore that. Then there's labor exploitation. Do you see it there? Labor exploitation. And can I just say that what they are describing as labor exploitation, my church does, which is they expect people to serve on the weekend (laughs) and not get paid. Like they expect people to park cars, serve coffee, watch kids, minister to kids, play an instrument, you know, do stage stuff, do the soundboard. Like they, so they, they have this rule that if you're going to go to the college, you have to serve the church on the weekend. So people sign up for this. It's not like they're, it's not like this is bait and switch. They sign up for this. They want to be a part of Hillsong. They love the church. Hillsong has a huge reputation, an enormous following around the world. And so these kids go to the school and the school says, well, you got to serve at the church on the weekend. And of course they're going to go. They are not being trapped. They are not being trapped into it. They are willingly walking themselves into it. And so some people say, no, no, this, this is, <laughs> again, labor exploitation. Because if they ask students to serve on the weekend, you know, they ask the students that were once given participation trophies, um, this is causing trauma for those children. <laughs> like they call this abuse in Australia, which is heavily ironic. Because if you remember, I reported on the deep end a few months ago about Haley Hodgson, who tested Hodgson, who tested negative for COVID, never had COVID and was locked down in an internment camp for COVID-positive patients for two weeks. When she expressed anxiety, they handed her volume. So, you know, civil rights are legally taken from you in Australia, and the world yawns. But a church expects its its students to serve on the weekend and go to school, and suddenly it's fascism, labor exploitation. (laughs) It's kind of funny. Anyway, uh, a lot of that just makes you feel that there's really not enough stuff to produce three episodes out of it. It really could have been one episode, one hour long episode. And the fallout for the church, unfortunately, has been sizable. 
Several stories have broken over the last two years. The levy really broke for Hillsong when a uh, pastor of their New York campus, Carl Lentz, was fired due to leadership issues or moral failures. He had an affair during the 2020 lockdown uh, with a woman in New York who knew who he was a pastor, by the way. We find that out from the um, documentary. But one of the issues that I took with that part of the documentary was how they read into the issues of Carl and Brian Houston having this ego battle. Like they think that really what it was, was Carl doesn't get fired for the adultery. He gets fired because Brian is threatened by him getting famous and Brian has a huge ego and he doesn't want Carl to take over the brand. And so he fires him. That's ridiculous. That's nonsense. I mean, I, I actually have a pastor friend. He's passed away now who was uh, watching, uh, who was friends with Brian Houston and told me that there was issues well before that over Carl Lentz's leadership style, and I could go into detail about these things. Uh, Carl Lentz definitely embraced the uh, BLM movement whole scale without discernment, in my opinion, as a pastor. <coughs> Excuse me. He also um, failed to deal properly with a openly homosexual couple in his church that was leading the children's choir. <coughs> Excuse me. And that was a problem for the leadership of Hillsong. And so then when it came to his personal affair, his per affair, I hate that word. When he, it came to his adultery, um, open and, ex and uh, exposed to the world, they had to pull the switch. But again, because the documentary is tainted and angled and, you know, agenda driven, they have to make it like, no, Brian couldn't handle it. It's all about Brian's ego. I don't think that was a fair assessment at all. Uh, other headlines that came out recently, you know, the Dallas campus had to fire uh, their lead pastor uh, because of leadership issues, uh, such as uh, extravagant spending on the church's credit cards to la for a lavish lifestyle. After that, the creative director of Hillsong, New Jersey resigned after a lewd photo was shared by him with a woman on Instagram. And then this week, uh, Hillsong Atlanta, the pastor Sam Collier says he's going to transition from a Hillsong church to his own church named Story Church. By the way, I as a pastor have a huge problem with that move because Hillsong, and you have to realize this, Hillsong is a brand. It's like Nike. It's like, um, yeah, it's, it's like Nike. You move in to uh, a new city and you try to start, I don't know, um, fancy shoes brand, right? Fancy shoes brand, because you're an upstart guy just trying to get your business going. Fancy shoes is your brand. You want to sell fancy shoes. It's going to take you a lot longer to build that brand in that area than if you moved in under the banner of, we're going to start a Nike shoes store here. You would have instant uh, cultural acknowledgement, uh, cultural you know, standing. People would know your name, your brand, and they would come instantly to your store because of the reputation of Nike. So then this guy, Sam Collier, moves into Atlanta under the guise or under the name of Hillsong Church. Going to start a Hillsong Church. And the name Hillsong just brings people a lot of times a lot of times from other churches in that community into the Hillsong brand church. And so you can easily quickly build that church up under the brand of Hillsong. And then on the first or second or third dose of scandal, you decide, you know what? I'm going to abandon the name Hillsong and I'm going to have my own church and I'm going to take all these people with me. To me, that's just not upstanding character in my opinion. But again, this is what happens. Where there's smoke, we want to produce fire, even if the fire is not nearly as bright as it appears, right? 
Now, I will say this. There are serious issues of uh, sin and disregard for sin in the Hillsong Church, in the brand. It's got 90 or so locations, network churches or affiliate churches. It's got a ton of pastors all over the world. It is impossible for one couple to oversee all those people and not have serious sin and uh, scandal issues come out. But the root of all the issues was Brian Houston's father and Brian Houston's handling of his father's sexual assault of children. This is an egregious sin, and it should be exposed. It should have been exposed years ago. It should have been repented of. It should never have been excused at all, no matter what the time frame from event to revelations was. Like one of the examples that the, um, that the documentary actually talks about, which is true, was that they played it off as if it was 30 years prior. The revelations of the sexual assault happened 30 years prior, so now suddenly 30 years later he comes out and what's the deal there? Look, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's no statute of limitations on when you hurt a child, okay? The attempt to pay off the accuser also and the cover-up of the event was a serious mistake and all of this reaffirms a few statements from Jesus, okay? Um, Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 12. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you said in the dark will be heard in the light and whatever you whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed in the housetops. And by the way, he also said, whoever, excuse me, uh, let me get back here. He also said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to, for a great millstone to be hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Listen, Jesus takes very seriously sexual assault of minors, any assault, any mistreatment of minors and uh, children. And so should the church. So you, you have this church, this giga, I don't call it mega, giga church with this name, with this reputation, with this brand. They make a lot of money. And by the way, another unfair attack on Hillsong. I'm going to get to the fair attack. I, I've kind of mixed fair attacks, unfair attacks. One, un, another unfair attack is that they complained that it made so much money. In fact, one guy, you can tell this guy really had a beef over money because every statement out of his mouth, he was a former member. I think he actually served on the serve team was about the money. And one of the comments that he makes is Hillsong or Brian Houston is literally doing everything he can to take every ounce of money he can from you. That's an unfair assessment because the examples that he cites are he expects his members to tithe. Well, biblical churches expect their members to tithe. I mean, that's how churches support themselves through the tithing and offerings of the church. But then he goes on into the CD sales, the music sales, the concerts, the, con the church conferences, which are all paid for if you attend them. But nobody is forcing you to attend them. You could go to the church and not tithe. You could go to any, by the way, you could go to my church. You could go to any church in the world, not tithe, not pay, not give a dime, and still benefit from the church in almost every other respect as every paying tithing member. And for people to say the church is just about money, they're usually the people that give no money to the church. I know this firsthand. So I take a lot of that in with a grain of salt because I know the church business. I'm a pastor. I know what goes on in churches. I know how disrespectful people can be. And I have to tell you really quickly that people can be very, um, they can act one way to the church that they would never act to any other organization on earth. Like Christians will go to a YMCA, gladly pay the membership fees every month without complaint and barely use the gym but then complain the moment the church starts talking about, hey, let's pay for this. Let's pay for buildings. Let's expand. Let's see God reach people in another city in the name of Jesus. Hey, can you pay for it? Oh, no, you want my money. I mean, it's an unfair.
fair attack. And so the documentary, some fair attacks, some unfair attacks. Anyway, I want to summarize by giving you a pastoral response. And I've got a couple of big points to make. Number one, 40 years of ministry should not be discounted by a three-hour documentary. Yes, Hillsong made a lot of money because it's very popular. The music sells. Okay, nobody's forcing you to buy the music. It just sells. And you don't need to call that sin. That's not sinful if you sell good music. By the way, I understand as a pastor that some of the modern worship that comes out is very me-centered. This is the role of a local pastor to oversee that music, to censor that music from its congregation, and then to let the good songs, the Jesus-honoring, Jesus-glorifying songs come out. And Hillsong music has historically had a mixture of both too much of me music and wonderful Jesus-exalting music. I think of what a beautiful name it is. This is a great example. What a beautiful name. It's a great example of... um, exalting Jesus, and then just a little bit of me, (laughs) because there's a line in this, what a beautiful name it is, where it says, you did not want heaven without us, so you came down. Okay, that's not actually theologically true. (laughs) God was not lonely in heaven, like he didn't need us, he didn't didn't need us, he did want us, he did create us, so yeah, technically he didn't want heaven without us, but he could have been fine without us. He is self-sufficient, Acts chapter 17 talks about that. So you have a mixture of good and bad in every church. 40 years of ministry should not be discounted by a three-hour documentary. We only hear from the haters. This is a one-sided presentation. And I know for a fact, listen, I know for a fact you could find five or six people willing to talk about all the harm, quote unquote, my church has done to them. My church has done to them. And my church is not a Hillsong affiliated church. The one guy that kept going after the money, again, uh, said famously, all Brian wants to do is extract money from you. Tremendously unfair. Tremendously unfair. Number two, remember, the enemy's goal is to sift Steal, kill, and destroy. We always quote steal, kill, and destroy from John 8, I think that is. But he also loves to sift. Remember Jesus said Satan sought to sift you as wheat to Peter. He wants to sift the church. He wants to sift Christians, especially the powerful, important Christians. Okay? He goes after the Peters. And Hillsong, whether you love them or hate them, they have a tremendous influence for both good and some bad upon the larger church. Bad now that all this stuff is coming out. But the, the enemy loves this stuff. That's his goal. Second thing about the enemy is that he loves division. He wants to now create a wedge between the members of Hillsong and the founders of Hillsong, the leaders of Hillsong and other leaders of Hillsong. And there's a lot of that in the documentary as well. Just remember that wherever there's division between brothers, the devil laughs and the Lord weeps. Wherever there's unity, the Lord commands a blessing. That's Psalm 133. Next, do not, and I repeat, do not rejoice or take pride in smaller churches because this large gigachurch has issues. And then you think, oh, see, this is the problem with large churches. So now you have this immediate suspicion of any large church simply because it's large. Large does not equal um, godly, uh, evil, and small does not equal godly. This is such a common misnomer, especially in the pastoral world. I am a pastor. Look, I'm in this culture. I'm in this subgroup of of, uh, population. There's a lot of jealousy of small resident and small church pastors over large church pastors. Lots of jealousy. I even get jealous of churches larger than mine. Of, Of course, I'm a human. 
And it's a lot of times it's the, well, they're big because they don't talk about the Bible and they compromise. No, come on, man. That's just ridiculous. There's a lot of big mega giga churches where the pastor opens the Bible and preaches the Bible and talks about Jesus. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. By the way, there's an example of a pastor who who castigated the large church movement and glorified the small church movement. His name was Eugene Peterson. He actually translated the Bible into the message translation. Eugene Peterson is heralded by small church pastors for his you know, faithfulness to scripture, for standing on the word of God and not being taken captive by the church growth movement. And he wrote a book called The Pastor, I've read it, where he castigates the church growth movement very hard, very, very much so. And yet this guy who heralds the values of small church came out shortly before his death in an interview and changed his mind on same-sex marriage and said he would perform a same-sex wedding if he were a pastor today. Then his publisher called him and he retracted his support for gay marriage one day later. I kid you not. Now, again, this is a man that I actually value in the church world, Eugene Peterson, powerful man of God. I thank God for his witness to scripture and him making scripture more um, easily read through the message translation and many of his works. I've read the pastor. I've read other works of his. I appreciate this man. But let us not now say that only small church guys are godly and large church guys should be held to suspicion because really God loves small. No. Have you seen the universe? (laughs) It's getting larger every single moment, by the way. And heaven's going to be one big church. If you've got a problem with big churches, you're going to have a serious problem in heaven. It's going to be filled with all kinds of people who don't look like you, smell like you, or vote like you. And they're all washed in the blood of Jesus. And it's going to be a number no man can count. That's a big church. So all that to say, back to uh, what I was talking about in my big points, the pastoral response. Number five, pastors and churches you got to understand this, have to work through the darkest issues of the human heart in a personal, semi-relational manner that even they don't fully understand. Like, let me just say it. People are crazy, self-included, okay? We cannot understand the human heart. Jeremiah said, 17.9, Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? No one can know it. And I took serious issue with a lot of the complaints from the students of the school uh, they had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. They had to, um, and then and then one person said, and one critic said this. This was hilarious for me. They said the school is taking advantage of 18 to 20 year old children who are oftentimes vulnerable to uh, big organizations such as Hillsong. Now that's interesting because the same people who will say that about Hillsong have no problem when we are promoting LGBT in school age children. So that's no problem. But when a church takes advantage, suddenly they're vulnerable. Suddenly they're vulnerable when it's a church. But when it's the public school system, no problem. That's the rights of the public school system. And that's my problem with uh, this documentary. Finally, the church is a threat to the darkness. The church is a threat to darkness. And so the darkness is always going to rear its ugly head and attack and undermine and vilify. But finally, and back to the point that there is a sincere issue with Hillsong in his leadership and the cover-up of Frank Houston's sexual molestation of children and other issues such as the adultery, the lavish expenditures, and on and on and on. Uh, The last thing I want to leave you with is this. It could happen to me in my church. And every pastor should be saying that. It could happen to me in my church. 
And the moment that you say it couldn't, watch out. The moment that you think that you're so holy, so biblically illiterate, so wise, so Holy Spirit filled that it will never happen to you, be careful. The scripture says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he suddenly fall. The scripture is very clear about that. Pride comes before destruction. And so when I watched it, yes, I was annoyed by the tiny little complaints that they tried to create as huge issues that are probably resident in every single church across the world. But at the same time, I took a serious look at myself and said, am I chasing big church or am I chasing Jesus? And lastly, I want you to say this with me, and you don't have to say it out loud, but just hear me say it. Let us not fall into the trap of shooting our own wounded. It has been often said that the church is the only army in the world that shoots its own wounded. That is, when we see Hillsong now being exposed for some serious sinful issues, we then just castigate Hillsong and vilify them as the devil's second cousin. Let us not do that. Let us remember that men like Peter, David, Abraham, Lot, James, and John, if they made their mistakes in today's generation, some church leaders would write them off forever. Some church leaders would preach about them on Sunday morning. You see, this is why you can't listen to Peter because he denied the Lord three times. I mean, really, this is why you shouldn't listen to Abraham because he tried to sell out his wife to save his own skin twice. Oh, and he slept with the servant as well. I mean, look, God always uses flawed people. That's kind of the deal with God. And the reason why is because those are the only people he can find. The only people that God can find are flawed except for his son, Jesus, who finished the work that we couldn't do. And if we stand in him, his righteousness becomes ours and we are accepted to the Father freely. I mean, just take it for what it is. It is an agenda-laced, anti-Christian documentary that at, one po- at some points exposes the problems with the church, which could happen in almost any church, and at the same time, and at the other side is unfair in its attacks. So that's my review. That's my review. And here's my last um, bit of scripture on this issue. You say, there's a lot of false Christians in that movement. Hillsong is making a lot of false Christians. Listen, every church has a lot of false Christians. Even in my church, there's a lot of false Christians. Jesus said to the disciples that the wheat and the tares would grow together. He gives this parable in Matthew 13. That the, the father sows good seed or the workers sow good seed in the field and then the enemy comes while they're sleeping and sows wheat among the wheat, weeds among the wheat. And the workers come back and say, do you want us to pull up the wheat, weeds? Uh, Matthew 13, 30 says, let both go together until the harvest and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. In other words, the church gathered is full of wheat and weeds and it's going to be God who separates the two. God's going to separate the two. I don't know everyone in my church is saved, born again, and has a heart for Jesus. I just know that I'm supposed to preach, get saved, be born again, and have a heart for Jesus. But let us not demonize the church because of its issues, even if they're very, very serious. The Corinthian church was full of sin, full of sin. And Paul writes them four letters, two of which are in our New Testament. And of those letters, they inspire us with hope. But Paul doesn't write them off. Paul doesn't say... Now, see, that means that everybody in Corinth is an evil non-Christian and we should just write them off. No. In fact, you know the sin was so bad in Corinth that it says this in 1 Corinthians 5.1. It is actually reported that, you were, that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. Like the world thinks that you're going too far. A man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. 
Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So listen, that kind of sin, by the way, um, probably not as bad, right, in today's culture uh, as it was in Paul's day. But when it even was worse in Paul's day, Paul does not write off the Corinthian church. And I don't want the church, the global church, to write off Hillsong. I think the global church needs to pray for them. Pray for the leaders. Pray that God will redeem this whole horrible experience for them and for the glory of Jesus Christ because we need more Jesus-loving churches, not less. And we need to be a church that encourages and tries to restore, not demean and divide and do the work of the devil. And I would just suggest that you tread lightly in your conversations about this church with other Christians especially with non-Christians, because non-Christians are always looking for a reason to vilify the church so that they can reject the work of Jesus. And that, my friends, helps no one get to heaven. In fact, it sends an awful lot of people to hell. We need to stop shooting our wounded. We need to stop shooting our wounded because the world is already targeting us and targeting our children. And I've said this again and again, and that, of course, leads me to <laughs> my discussion of the Oscars on Sunday night. Now, I didn't even know the Oscars were taking place on Sunday night. Did you? I mean, I avoid this show every year because it's just rich, entitled, super celebrities, glad-handing each other and giving each other trophies. And every year, it makes you want to puke. Every single year, though, <laughs> they come out and they castigate Christians. They castigate people like me. Every year they attack my values and my ideas. And I expect it. I expect it. In fact, I was certain that the power of the dog, this gay cowboy film, was going to win everything. And surprisingly, it didn't. The, the movie that I recommended a few episodes ago, Coda, won Best Picture. And you should go see that movie. It is, it is hilarious. You don't have to go. It is, it is great. Hilarious. No, it is great. Um, it's a great movie. You can watch it on Apple Plus TV. But in response to the Florida um, legislature protecting the rights of parents from groomers in the public school system, Hollywood was there on Sunday night to trample on parents and promote open conversation between your son's second grade teacher and him about his gender and or sexual preference. So first on the docket was this from the three women hosts of the Oscars. Well, we're going to have a great night uh, tonight, and for you people in Florida, we're going to have a gay night. Gay, gay, Yeah, so there is that. You know, they have to make their statements as quickly as possible and fight for progressive sexuality and kindergarten teachers to come out to their kindergarten students because, after all, fairness, right? It's expected. And frankly, it's a badge of honor. I agree with Ron DeSantis, who literally signed the bill the next day and then said this in response to Hollywood's ramblings from the Oscars. I love this one. That there's even people in Hollywood that are that are opposed, um, you know, to, to to providing protections for parents and enforcing parents rights. You know, the one thing I'll say about that is if the people who held up degenerates like Harvey Weinstein up as exemplars and as heroes and as all that if those are the types of people that are opposing us on parents rights i wear that like a badge of honor yeah thank you ron DeSantis. honestly look remember the right voices vilifying you is a good thing that's why i say church don't shoot the wounded don't shoot each other 
There's a battle to be won for the souls of men and women. And while we, you know, attack one another, we're not attacking the false idols of this world and the God of this world, the, the principalities and the powers in the spiritual realm. And our children are paying the price in our public school system. But this is Hollywood. This is Hollywood, a place where your Christian values are a joke. And assault is never taken seriously because, after all, they are part of the elite class. They're part of the capital in Pan Am. So (laughs) this happened on Sunday night. We had to talk about it. Will Smith went from slapping Chris Rock across the face on national television to literally 40 minutes later winning the highest award for an actor in Hollywood with tears in his eyes talking about how he is here to fight for those whom he loves. (laughs) So that's what happened. And I want to take you through this moment because it is actually quite alarming. Let me give you the backstory. Um, Behind, uh, so Chris Rock is part of the comedy break in the the Oscars uh, presentation. He tells jokes. That's what comedians do. Usually comedians tell jokes about celebrities at these shows because sometimes celebrities are worth laughing at. Everybody should learn to laugh at themselves. Well, one of the jokes that he tells is about Jada, who is going, Will Smith's wife, who is going to um, star in uh, G.I. Jane 2, which is the story of, if you remember that movie, where the woman had a bald head because she was in the army. And so he makes this crack about her. And I put a picture up there. But evidently she has alopecia and she struggles to grow her hair because of that disease. Uh, Well, Will Smith responds, but there's something that transpires before Will Smith's response. And, And this is worth a look because I am, I'm a husband and I understand how this stuff goes down. So let's just take a look, see at the event, shall we? Cause watch this, here's, here's the moment. You know who's got the hardest job tonight? Javier Bardem and his wife are both nominated. Husband, wife, joke. Now, if she loses, he can't win. <laughs> All right, so that's a, hard, that's a husband, wife joke. You know, if she loses, he can't win. Of course, that, every husband understands that. Now watch this. He is praying that Will Smith wins. Like, please, Lord. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? Okay, now watch the reaction here. Here's what goes down. Will Smith laughs. Look at Jada. (laughs) Eye roll. He's still laughing. So what happens now between now? (laughs) (laughs) It's that was a that was a nice one. Okay. And this moment. Uh oh, Richard. (laughs) Oh wow! Wow! Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. <laughs> what happened between, let's see if we can go back to it. What happened between that and this? <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. Every husband knows exactly what happened. The woman did not take the joke quite the same way as the husband. And so to defend her honor, he gets up on national television and assaults Chris Rock. And then at the end, wins the award and talks about he's just a crazy man defending the honor of his family. Now, all of this would be very, very sweet if Will and Jada Smith didn't regularly brag about their open marriage. Yes, an open marriage, an agreed upon marriage where they 
happily commit adultery on each other and allow each other to do the same. So <laughs> I guess it's okay to sleep with his wife. Just don't make jokes about his wife. Um, interestingly enough, by the way, Jada herself once talked about her struggle with alopecia the following way. Likes to do. <laughs> so I had to learn to get the courage to just go, nah, I'm not doing that. Which is why I feel the freedom today. I don't give two craps what people feel about this bald head of mine. Because guess what? I love it. So if you love it, then it shouldn't be a problem if people joke about it, right? Anyway, all of this to say, this is not regular behavior. This is delinquency, and this is the world being the world, right? Uh, there's no issue with someone assaulting someone on national television. I mean, I know that Will issued an apology yesterday, but really, in an age where we are trying to tell our children that violence for words is never right, this does not help. By the way, this is how the protesters in the BLM movement take their cues. This is where they get their cues, right here. Remember the BLM protests and how people bragged about the fact that only 7% of the riots were violent in nature? Only 7% of the, of, the, of the riots were violent. Like, that's a good thing. Like, there should be no violence in the protests. There should be none. But, but that's okay because it was justified. Even people from the alopecia world are talking about how Will defended his wife's honor. Um, no, he didn't. He suddenly got notified in that 10-second clip moment that his wife didn't take the joke nearly as funny as he did. So this is where we are. This is the world. And this is Hollywood who is so committed to empowering second grade teachers to quote unquote come out to your six year old in the name of equity, fairness or justice or whatever woke term they want to use, that they will mock your Christian values and turn a blind eye and even reward those who viciously attack other people. Is it justified? Absolutely not. Never was, never would be. People need to look, people need to examine the behavior through the lens of truth. But the bigger issue that I want to bring you back to is this. The church is too busy shooting itself and not worrying about the cultural landmines that are being laid down for our children as they grow up. And it's time to turn our attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the cause of the mission of Jesus, and stop vilifying one another. Rather, pray for one another, lift one another up, encourage one another, hold one another to account, but not in the sense of I'm better than you but I want you to succeed. I want you to get over the sin. I want you to help us fight for the gospel because the world's getting darker and it is not a time to get downcast and upset about it. No, it's time to straighten up, raise our heads because our redemption is drawing nigh. Oh, by the way, let me leave you with this last thought. Reality check. All of this stuff that we're talking about, these issues are only relegated to the cultural West where we are in the cushy confines of a safe gospel preaching environment. I bring you this report from the Christian Post. Muslims spray acid on family for accepting Jesus. You deserve death, they say. Yes, this is what's happening in Uganda. I've been to Uganda. It is a Muslim-dominated country. And if you convert to Jesus in that country, you don't get vilified by at an award show. You get, your, you get your family members pouring acid on your face. And this is just a reality check to let us know that yes, the world is getting dark and it's going to get darker, but there are Christians around the world that aren't really all that upset about what happened in Brian Houston's life or what happened in Hollywood last two nights ago. 
They're more concerned with the fact that it causes people, that, that there is a cause to reach people with the gospel and there's a price to pay for it. And may we stand strong for Christ like never before. Amen? That's the episode, everybody. Thanks for joining me. By the way, if you aren't yet, please support the channel. Cash tag Tim Hatch Live or timhatchlive.com slash support. And tomorrow I will be back, I hope, I hope, for the deep dive tomorrow, 7.30 p.m. Busy week for me. I'm amazed I got this episode in, but I'm so glad that you were here. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow night on the deep dive. And by the way, get your questions into uh, 10 Questions with Tim, which happens next Thursday. That is definitely happening. I'll see you guys. God bless. Fight for Jesus. Fight for the gospel. Don't fight each other.